Hey, Blair. Hello. So, I have a question for you. All right, what's up? So, I had a client recently who um, his partner wanted to get an allergens test done and um, got recommended by a registered um, nutritionist. And so, um, this registered nutritionist said that you should get an allergens test done based on, like, symptoms of bloating, etc., you know, amongst other things. Um, you know, the registered nutritionist thinks that the person may have, like, lactose intolerance or something like that. So, recommended this test, and it, it basically, somebody came round to their house, took their bloods, put it in one of those, you know, those spinning device things like a centrifuge yeah 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 one of them (laughs) Uh, you're the scientist here not me (laughs) that's uh, i sound so stupid (laughs) thanks for that blur yep Um, i gotcha um and so anyway the allergens test came back um pretty normal for the for the partner but my client who has no symptoms uh came back with like 13 different allergies can, can you explain that one and he has no symptoms to ever ever suggest that he would have an allergy to any of the foods that got like ticked off this list sure so um i think first we need to clarify our terms a little bit are you meaning allergy or sensitivity that's a good question um I think it was an allergy test. Okay. So, and here's the difference. So a food allergy is a very specific set of immunoresponse called IgE antibodies that are likely to cause a severe reaction, often anaphylaxis, possibly death. And these are going to be some of the big hitters like peanuts, tree nuts, egg, um shellfish you know there's certain ones that are just very very common in our society and they they you can die and then we have a a different like subclass of it, it falls under an allergy response but and this gets kind of hazy because there is really no consensus on the definition of what a food sensitivity is uh it seems to be more of like a marketing uh than than actual medical term But so there are intolerances, which are less severe, and those tend to be things like lactose. Um, You know, people that are are reactive to milk sugar and can cause bloating and some issues like that. And then there are sensitivities, which I said are these like often harder to describe, define, you know, reactions like bloating, discomfort, digestive issues, and... uh, you know, I think that they get confused sometimes. So, like, if they went to an allergist, I would assume this is an actual allergy test because that's a more severe response. But typically, I think when you're working with someone who refers to themselves as a nutritionist or a functional medicine doctor, it's more likely going to be a sensitivity test. Okay. So, so I guess uh, – so you're saying the the girl who had a lot of issues came back with very inconclusive – results yeah yeah and her husband who has no reactions has had a lot of pings on the test exactly yeah yeah okay 
So I'm going to assume that this is a food sensitivity test and not an allergy test. Okay, my bad. I like I said I think I think I mean just just because I want to be clear on what we're talking about and where my, you know, full support of allergy tests. If you're allergic to something, you should know so you don't die. Cool. The major data is not out there to support these tests. So, as I mentioned, they were IgE for your severe allergies. There's a few different vo- forms of this sensitivity test, IgG, which is a different immunoresponse. However, we aren't fully capable of understanding how food interacts with this system. For example, typically they have seen that when a person reduces dairy or eliminates dairy from the diet, these IgG antibodies increase. So they're not specifically inflammatory or indicating any kind of immuno response or negative response, just they do seem to respond to food in the system. It, you know, there's a few others like um, MRT test, ALCAT, you know, these are actually more blood draws. I believe the IgG response stuff can be tested through hair. Um, they probably do blood as well. But all these tests, you know, whether they're measuring the IgG response or I think in these, the MRT and ALCAT, they're actually measuring how your blood cells respond or change um, to food extracts in a test tube. But the problem is that other than the breath test to determine things like lactose or fructose sugar intolerances, there's no data and there's no validation to these tests. Essentially, you know, when you kind of start diving into it, all the major immunology boards from, you know, the the Canadian Society of Allergy and Clinical Immunology, the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma and Immunology, Johns Hopkins, which is a very famous research university here in the States, uh, actually right in my backyard in, in Baltimore, and then uh, the European Union, South Africa, Australia, a lot of these major nutrition and immunology uh, countries have stated that we just don't have the data and there's no studies or proof that these tests tell us anything. And I believe even if some exist, they tend to be very short, like case studies or they're, you know, dated and they're in non-reputable journals. So they might, there might be a sprinkling of them. Once again, this leads into a good idea for us to do an episode on how to understand research. But, you know, the data is just not there other than on the ones that are, you know, time tested, like true allergies, lactose intolerance, those kind of things. Okay. So why do people, why, why would a registered nutritionist recommend a test like this then? I think there's a couple reasons. I think some people do believe in it and they just don't, they're not research focused. And, and sometimes that's the difference between being, you know, uh, an RD and an MSRD depending on the school or the curriculum when I, when I, so the difference is a master's degree doing the master's. It wasn't until my master's level education that I took a class on research design and methodology. And part of that is because typically as a master's student or a PhD student, you either have to be part of some, you know, authored on some studies or you have to design and conduct one yourself. So they need to give you an education on how these research projects are designed so you can then use it in your lab work you know so i was uh an assistant on a lot of different research projects in the lab that i went to and so you know i I think that they just either aren't research minded to think oh let me look into this and make sure there are some you know validation studies out there to make sure this works 
and I think that another part of it is it's a shortcut. So, so the only true way to figure out those kind of symptoms like bloating and, you know, abdominal distension and discomfort, you know, what we t- call sensitivities is a very detailed elimination diet. So the elimination diet is different depending on the symptoms and the the possible diagnosis. So things like irritable bowel syndrome, it's a low FODMAP diet so that you get a list of foods that say are high in what are called FODMAPs. It's a fermentable carbohydrate. And so, or it's a series, a whole bunch of them. So you remove all these foods and then once the symptoms go away after about two weeks to a month, you slowly add foods back in one at a time under the guidance of a dietitian, and they, you know, you record the symptoms and if nothing happens, cool. You also record the amounts. So maybe it's a small amount of this food or, you know, any amount of this food you start to figure out over time, which foods you respond to and, and what amounts of those foods. And it's painstaking. It's slow. It's requires patience. It can be very difficult, especially we're dealing with kids who are picky eater. You know, so there's a lot of reasons why this is a very hard approach to take. Whereas if I can just get you to spend three to six hundred dollars and I get this pretty printout, it gives you like a maybe an educated roadmap. And and that's the problem with the advancements in our field is I think people want to skip the basics and the foundational stuff for the fancy new technology. You know, it's, it's a lot easier to say, oh, here's what the results said, so we need to cut these foods out. And in all likelihood, the foods you cut out, one of them is a, a food you might respond to, so you leave those foods cut out because this test said to, and you did, and you felt better. Yeah, I mean, so if someone was to remove these foods out of their diet, are you, are you saying that there's a chance that nothing is probably going to change or something might change. It's possible. You know, so I think the most common foods, and I believe it was uh, a a doctor at Johns Hopkins I read wrote an article for the Times or was in an article for the Times. Um, There's a couple of them. uh, The New York Times, sorry. And so um, they believed that these tests were more likely to tell you foods that you eat regularly rather than foods that you actually have negative responses to. And when you look at the top five most common results, it's like gluten or wheat, eggs, dairy, um, almonds or, or peanuts. And then I don't remember what the other one was, but it, it's all a bunch of foods that most people eat in decent amount regularly. Like lactose or something. Well, not even that. It's just most people eat those foods. And so if everyone's getting these tests, those are the most commonly eaten foods. And the thing is, when you start to remove those foods that are, um, you know, what's the right word? Ubiquitous. They're everywhere. They, you know, when you cut out gluten, you're forced to read nutrient labels to make sure there's no wheat or barley or rye so that you can buy gluten free and it's getting better where we're you know and better and worse where we have more packaged foods stating that they're gluten free which allows people to skip the the nutrition label aspect and and just buy something that's labeled appropriately but initially when people had these 
insensitivities and they were starting to avoid stuff or they had celiac disease, they had to read the label and pick something that used an alternative flour, which alternative flowers typically have more fiber. And so you can see I'm doing my diligence to buy higher quality foods that skip these common ingredients and it, it reduces my symptoms. product range. So therefore my symptoms get better because I'm eating more diligently and now I am feeling better, so obviously the test was right. Right. And it's it, it's incorrect assumption. It's, it's You changed something based on the test and you felt better. I think the long-term problem is sometimes people remove too much, but since they feel better, they stay on a very restrictive list of foods when they could add them back in and, and expand that list of foods. So do you think these tests are a waste of money for people or not? Yes, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think these things can be done. And I guess there's always the counterpoint. Like if this test gets you to make positive changes, great. But I think these can be done without this. You know, I, I don't think it's necessary. And often it can actually steer you in the wrong direction. And people will live and die by this sword that they spent a decent chunk of change on and printed out what seems like a very pretty scientific result that actually has no science behind it or validation behind it oh, well, they'll live and die by it because it was expensive and it looks nice and it seems yeah. very... And, you know, I have people all the time say, like, oh, I want a very tailored, you know, get my blood chemistry tested and get a diet designed for my body. And it's like, that's not where personalization and individualization of nutrition and fitness comes from. Yeah, It comes from starting them with a foundation that most people... Almost everybody's going to start in a very similar place when they're trying to make positive changes let's get you moving more let's get you increasing protein whatever the the you know baseline is yeah because... but through speaking with this person and getting to know them and hearing their hurdles and their issues and and their struggles you slowly change the plan for them you know and it that's once again the individualization is very much like an elimination diet it's a slow painstaking get to know you process I guess my client, who I think nothing happened to him, um, like he had no symptoms or anything, he's now obviously feeling like there's something wrong with him when there's probably nothing wrong with him. And his partner, who thought there could be something wrong with her and the test is coming back like there's nothing wrong with her, could down the line end up experiencing the same symptoms and she's being told there's nothing wrong with her, but so she doesn't change anything and experiences the same thing but now he's going to change something because this test has told him that there's something wrong but there was nothing wrong with him in the first place you know what i mean right so oh yeah the added stress is probably not worth the amount of money spent on this test because neither of them know anything more or less than before other than a little bit more stress right and, and I think your client falls under the more typical result of these tests, which is things that have never caused response, reaction, issue, you know, come glaring onto the screen. And now all of a sudden, like you said, he has to think he has to start removing. And the nutritionist might even say, oh, yeah, you need to cut these foods out because they're causing inflammation. And that's simply not true. Right. You know, like I said, I, I think some people are, they just haven't done the deeper dive to understand that there is a level of bullshit to these tests. And I'm one of those people where if the research starts coming out in droves supporting these tests, I will change my tune. You know, I'm not saying that I think these tests are forever bullshit and, and this is how science works. 
if the research comes out in support of it, great. I will I will also support it. But, but until there is research indicating that these tests tell us anything and these major American colleges of gastroenterology and, you know, immunology boards and some of the major players in the world start to change their tune based on the research, then I'm going to stay by my guns and call these things bullshit. You know, medical organizations from the U.S., Europe, Canada have recommended against using food sensitivity and intolerance testing because of the lack of evidence. You know, I doubt Joe Schmo, nutritionist, has done as much research as the top medical organizations and immunology boards in these, you know, massive countries of research. So what we're saying to everyone is try and avoid food sensitivity and tolerance tests that could potentially be expensive and not give them much information. Yes, correct. I think we are saying these tests for the time being are getting the bullshit stamp. <laughs> um, yes, so what we are saying is that these tests are getting the bullshit stamp. And we'll keep an eye out for the research. If that changes and comes out in droves in support, we will do another episode and talk about the changes in research. But for the time being, it's bullshit. Stick with us and stay away from the bullshit. That will do for today. All right. Bye, everyone. Later, everyone. A healthy debate runs purely on fat and is completely free of banned substances. This episode was edited by Blair Solberger, so if it sucks, blame him. The next episode will be out in a week wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at A Healthy Debate or on YouTube at youtube.com slash at A Healthy Debate.